Well, well, welcome to 2X e-commerce, the e-commerce marketing growth podcast where you ask questions and I, Kanae, answers them. Also hear from proven marketing growth experts who are number one or number two in specialist areas of online retail marketing. So if you work in or own an online retail business, listen in, get involved, join me, and let's put some fuel to skyrocket your e-commerce growth. Got inbound marketing strategies and you'll be Amazon. Natural search and last search engine position is critical to the customer flow through the website. I personally would not have an account process interrupt checkout flow at all. My favorite customer lifetime value calculation is an easy one. It's your average order value times the purchase frequency times uh, your customer lifespan. I'm Kune Campbell. Let's get rolling. Hi, 2Xers. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. I'm your host, Kune Campbell. And as you know, this is the e-commerce podcast dedicated to rapid growth in online retail. Um, not necessarily at the enterprise level or even, you know, micro retail. This is, you know, a show for scaling for ambitious online retailers who want to 2X, 3X or even 10X their businesses. I handpicked the guests who come onto the show to share their expertise and experience. And my criteria is based on one thing, you know, can my guest actually provide you guys insights, insights? I need insights um, to, to help you rapidly grow. So if um, you want to grow metric such as conversions, average order value, repeat customers, traffic, and ultimately sales, you're in the right place. Going to roll into the sponsor um, shortly, and then I'll catch you, you know, um, right back. This episode is brought to you by Clavio. It is a game-changing email automation tool specifically built for scaling e-commerce businesses. I'm not just saying it. I use Clavio in my e-commerce store and stores are advised for. Household names in the e-commerce space such as Brooklyn Inn, Bonobos, and Chobis use Clavio. Here's why. Clavio has one of the most impressive feature sets in the e-commerce email personalization space at the moment. Besides the one-click setup, Clavio's Pixel tracks visitor behavior to help you set up highly effective custom email funnels. Clavio also offers pre-built autoresponders for cart abandonment, upsells, and win-back campaigns. Clavio's most game-changing feature is its Facebook audiences integration, which helps your email list to sync up with your Facebook ad campaigns. So as you continue to scale up your store, Clavio will help automate a lot more sales. Try Clavio today on Clavio.com, spelt K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com. With retail moving online, finding a good domain name has become ever so important. But the challenge is that most decent.com addresses are either difficult to acquire or unavailable. The good news is that retailers now have a powerful alternative with the .store domain name. A .store domain name will be short, relevant, and directly associate your site with e-commerce and retail. Search engines give .store domains the equal attention and importance as .com TLDs. .store domains have already been adapted by top brands such as Emirates. So if you check out Emirates.store, you get to a store there, Jimi Hendrix or jimihendrix.store and F1 Formula One, F1.store. If you want a short and snappy domain name for your retail brand or your online store, you can now get a .store domain for just £4.99, which is about $6.99 using the coupon code 2XSTORE. That's 2XSTORE on get.store. Just go to get.store in your search engines and use 2 X store. Right, guys, I'd like to welcome to the show 
Thomas Smell. He's the founder of FE International. And the reason I brought him is a chunk of you guys, you know, a lot of you guys are building up e-commerce businesses to sell. You're building up physical product businesses, whether it's in the Amazon FBA space, whether it's um, uh, uh, an e-commerce website, um, whether it's, uh, you know, um, a wholesale business that, you know, resides in the internet. You're building this businesses to eventually retire, whether you're going to retire 40, 30, you know, whatever age you have in mind, um, you most of you ultimately want to exit. And FE International is a business I have um, had a relationship with for for a few years. I've I've spoken with the founders, and I just thought, you know what? Um, we're at the start of 2018. Um, let's get some focus. Let's you know fine tune how we're going to sort of um, you know act for the rest of the year by um, focusing on how we're going to build our businesses to 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 maximize asset value. So I'll tell you a little bit about. Thomas and um, and about FE International. Um, or I think it'd be best to, you know, to to bring you know Thomas and welcome Thomas. Sorry for the long winded you know intro, but welcome to the yeah, show. Thanks so much. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. You're you're, you're very welcome. Um, could you take a minute to, to you know tell our listeners a little bit about you and then FE International? You guys were founded in 2010. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So yeah, we started out in 2010. The the business back then was buying and selling web-based businesses. Okay. Uh, and then we, over the years, we transitioned into more an advisory firm. So since 2012, okay. our, our main business is helping people sell their companies. And okay. we also work with people who want to buy and publish a lot of content, teaching people how to do either of those things as well. Cool. So so how did, what was the evolution from, you know, what you previously did to, to, to FE International and, um, you know, how did you get into to, to measuring acquisitions of SaaS, e-commerce, and you know if affiliate slash content, you know, type businesses? Yeah. So when when starting out, this is back in probably more like 2009, 2010, uh, buying websites for myself and then reselling them. Um, and then after a while of doing that, I was at college at the time, so okay. just making making some extra cash on the side. Not bad. Um, <laughs> Not a bad side job. <laughs> Yeah, just turning it into just making like a, a small income stream out of it. And right. then I started publishing content, teaching people how to do what I was doing. Wrote a book about it back in 2010, okay. which did really well. Um, took off, a bunch of people bought it, got a bunch of good feedback. Um, from that, I, I, I thought at the time, incorrectly, that people would be interested in learning and doing it themselves. Mm. Um, but actually, it turned out that people were more interested in having us do it for them. So got went from doing it for myself to working with people and helping them sell their companies. So that's really when we transitioned into more of an advisory firm. That was back around 2011 and then 2012 onwards. We've pretty much just been focused on the advisory side of the business. Fascinating. Very, very, very good stuff. So you guys, at the moment, you're, you're, you're mid-market uh, business. Mm-hmm. Could you describe what a mid-market is in terms of like the the average deal size? You know, you you you, you normally take care of. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of different ways people describe firms. So we'd probably be depending who you ask. You'd be like small cap, micro cap, or or mid-market. It really depends okay. who you ask. Who's looking at it? In general, our, our deal ranges are anywhere from fifty thousand dollars up to twenty million dollars. Okay. Um, 
And then our average deal is somewhere in the middle of that. It's around $500,000 at the moment for Five, average. 500K, okay. And according to your LinkedIn profile of FE International, you guys have done about $75 million worth of sales, you know, across like 400 plus um, acquisitions since 2010. Is, is that accurate or has that changed quite significantly? Yeah, I think that probably needs a, a 2018 update, but we're now uh, into the hundreds of millions. Well, um, nice. so that, yeah, that's probably a little bit out, out of date now, but yeah, we're in the hundreds of millions range. Um, okay. We've been growing pretty significantly. So last 12 months, we've pretty much doubled doubled our team size. Okay. Uh, Interesting. Doubled our- deal value so lots of metrics going in the right direction interesting from your accent you're a londoner um what are you doing in, in boston because um i know you're tuning in from boston <laughs> I, I am indeed um so yeah we, we started the company out of london so my, my business partner as well is from london as well okay um we ran the business from london for many years but mm-hmm. we always had a primarily or at least there's a lot of focus in the us so we found we were running the company um, but dealing with U.S. clients, we were flying over here every oh. week or every other week uh, to meet people or meet clients or go to conferences or speak at conferences. Okay. Um, so we launched a, a head office out here in 2015. Okay. Um, and at the moment, we have about 15 people in in our Boston office. 50? Um, we st- 15. 15, wow, okay. okay. Yeah, and then we still have our London office and we okay. also have an office in Saigon, Vietnam. In Saigon, so okay. Our, Current team is just over 35 people, um, but a big focus for us recently has been hiring. So okay. if we had the same conversation about a month ago, we would have been less than 30. So wow, okay. um, hiring's been a big, big focus recently. Okay. So yeah, n- now in Boston, uh, well, semi-permanently. Okay. Um, and it, it just means we can access our- Your market. Your, our clients more, your more clients, easily. exactly. Okay. So so yeah. I'd say, so, so just to get some context, um, business, well, the businesses are for sale all over the world, pretty much. But um, p- the people who are buying them, your clients, are predominantly based in the US. Yeah, so US and Canada would Canada, be okay. the majority of buyers. I mean, there are obviously buyers elsewhere in the world. Okay. You tend to find, we found with the US particularly, it's a very entrepreneurial culture. Mm. It's obviously like a very large country as well. Mm. Uh, I'm very wealthy. Mm. So lots of people are interested in the idea of... Yeah like running their own business. No, and that doesn't necessarily mean starting one. It can mean buying one. Buying as well. one, exactly. Because it's quite reflective of, you know, if you're running an e-commerce business and um, you are shipping globally, you know, um, the obvious markets to, to target right off the back of, you know, your, your, you know, your, your targeting is, is the US, you know, and Canada, they, they will, you know, account for a chunk of, you know, sales. It's, it's natural. It's quite interesting. It's, it's the same, you know, um, when you're buying and selling businesses. So, yeah, cool. Right. Let's jump into the meat of this. Um, so for listeners who are running e-commerce businesses now or who want to build e-commerce businesses um, for an exit, how do you... So, okay, first of all, how do you build, you know, a business? What kind of, what kind of things do you need to look at, take, you know, bear in mind when you're building out an e-commerce business, you know, for an exit, for an eventual exit? Yes. I mean, I think the very, because I get asked this question a lot. I think the very most important thing when you start out is just worry about making some money and getting, getting sales coming in the door. Your business is never going to be sellable or it's highly, highly unlikely to be sellable mm-hmm. if you're not making money. So that should be your number one focus before you think about anything else. Um, from there, once you start getting some traction, mm-hmm. um, it's important to start thinking about the type of products you're selling. So 
what a lot of people do when they start out is they focus on products that might be trending massively. Mm. So last year, lots of people launched business around fidget spinners mm. and people would buy 10,000 of them because they were, they were super popular. But then three months later, that, that industry or product was no longer popular. Mm. Um, so a lot of people made the mistake of chasing the trends. Mm. I always encourage people to try focus on a particular vertical because then that way, if you were selling fidget spinners, you could still sell them on your store, but you'd be able to sell other products afterwards and you wouldn't be comp- you wouldn't launch a business called like fidgetspinners.com you'd launch launch a product which is like funtoys.com exactly like that. and then you can have lots of different products and as things get trendy or you ride the wave trendy, it, ex- exactly so that's definitely something to think about it doesn't mean you have to build your business around just like one product that's going to sell forever and people are always going to buy like for example a pen um you, but you should always think about the fact that while it might be making money now, if conceivably it's not going to be making money in say one, two, five years time, then from a buyer perspective, it's not going to be interesting. It may well be a great way to make a living and you could have made a bunch of money selling fidget spinners, but no one's going to want to buy that business because they know it's going to die. Okay. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. So with with that in mind, um, when you say make money, do you, are you talking about making revenue or making profit? So when starting out, mm-hmm. my focus for people or what I would encourage people to do is just figure on figure, sorry, figure on making revenue. Once you're making some revenue, you can then worry about the profitability. But starting out, you're gonna you're gonna lose some money. You're gonna have to test things that don't work, mm-hmm. and then some things will work. So don't worry about profitability right away. Um, everyone understands everyone looking at buying a business that in your first few months or maybe even first few years, you're probably not going to be making a profit. Uh, and that's, that's fine in, in a buyer's eyes. There are obviously some additional considerations. So if you're funding your business yourself, um, mm. and maybe you have a full-time job and you're doing it on the side, then you probably don't have a huge amount of money to invest. Yeah. So profitability should be a focus. Okay. Um, but from a buyer perspective, it's not necessarily essential from the start. I, I just think of traction in terms of things like building out your brand, building out your following, building out your email list, mm-hmm. social following, whatever you might exactly. be doing to okay. to get get customers in the door. Okay, we're going to jump into those those bits. Um, so so essentially, so have you been involved in deals um, that? the company for sale was not necessarily in profit, but they were doing massive numbers from a revenue standpoint. So, yeah. So when it comes to the actual sale, mm-hmm. it's uncommon for businesses to be sold if they're not profitable. Okay. Um, unless there's other reasons why they're not profitable. For example, if you have a company and you have, let's say you have a, a million dollar loan, Mm. And you're paying huge interest payments every month. Mm. And if you remove those interest payments, um, the business would be profitable. Then mm-hmm. the assets would be very sellable. The company itself would probably not. But generally, al- almost all deals you see below 10 or $20 million are asset sales. So mm-hmm. You don't actually sell the underlying entity. So if you have debt and you've been paying down debt, it doesn't actually affect the sale a okay. huge amount. Do they exactly. clear out the debt for you or do you? is that something you have to take care of before you hand over the keys to the business, of the business? Yeah, so from a debt perspective, because they're not physically taking over the entity, it generally does not matter. But that says sometimes buyers 
might be a little bit concerned if you have debt. And as part of the deal, they might make it a contingency that you have to pay off any debt related to the business. Because sometimes when you take out loans and debt, it might be tied to something in the company. So for example, there might be like a guarantee and that might be tied to the the stock. So if, if they stop paying the loan, then you could lose the stock. It could so, be reclaimed. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Now let's talk about these assets. You know, um, what kind of assets just, you know, um, just actually give you, well, just raise your interest. You know, when you see a deal, um, I present an e-commerce business to you and um, you just look at these assets. I'm talking like email list, um, you know, um, customer list, um, you know, um, profits. What kind of assets do you do you want to see, you know, as a, as a broker? Yeah. So, I mean, there's not really a set rule of things you mm-hmm. should and shouldn't have. I'd say general best practice is you want something or anything that has the ability to bring in clients over and over again. So traditionally, that would be an email list. Mm -hmm. Um, But more and more people now are moving into things like building a social following. So it might be you have a a big following on Instagram. Okay. Um, And that's fine. I would say in general, buyers, or from our perspective, we want to see something that you control. So an email list where you, well, not necessarily technically own, but you have all those emails is more protectable long-term than a a social following because Mm -hmm. if you're building on someone else's platform, whether that's Facebook, Instagram, lots of these businesses can do very well for a while, but you just don't have control. So it could be one change from Instagram, one change from Facebook, and you no longer have a sustainable source of sales. Whereas Mm -hmm. an email list might be a little bit more boring to build up. Mm -hmm. People don't necessarily see it, uh, but it can be an extremely powerful tool. So email list is extremely important. Email list, okay, okay. So and and then would you look at traffic? Would you look at conversion rates? Would you would you look at um, you know um, at, well stock? Um, what what other you know um asset? What what other asset? What other points? Data points are you you know factoring into um, valuation of, of of an e-commerce asset? Yeah, so from a valuation perspective, mm-hmm. we look at over a hundred variables. So there's lots wow. of different things that lots of different things that tie into it. Okay. Um, so traffic is important. It doesn't necessarily affect valuation because mm-hmm. if you have, for example, a thousand visits per month and you're making a million dollars, that business is not worth any less than a business that has a hundred thousand visits making the same money. Mm-hmm. So the the traffic alone does not necessarily affect the value. The source of that traffic may do. So if you have a business um, where all of your traffic is from running Facebook ads, or the majority of your traffic is running Facebook ads, that is not going to be worth as much as a business where, say, half of your traffic is from um, organic SEO, Mm -hmm. a quarter of your traffic is from guest posts and podcasts you've been on, Mm -hmm. um, and then another quarter is from your your email list. Mm -hmm. So... From that perspective, it doesn't necessarily affect the value at a high level. Yeah. But once you dig into it, it can affect things. Yeah. Um, stock is important. Stock's always sold separately from the, the deal itself. So okay. always included as part of the deal, but the value of it is always separate. The okay. key with stock is making sure it's a fine balance between not having too much. Mm-hmm. So if you have a business doing $100,000 a year in sales, mm-hmm. you should probably not be sat on half a million dollars of wholesale mm. value of, of stock. But you also should probably not be sat on $500 worth of stock. Mm. So there's a balance between 
not having too much and not selling out. Mm-hmm. I quite often see businesses that struggle because they've not predicted their sales properly mm-hmm. and they may be done, I guess this is a good thing, but they've sold more than they expected and then they mm-hmm. run out of stock. And then that can often take months to recover, particularly if you're sourcing your products from somewhere like China, mm-hmm. you, can't get, you can't get that product in a couple of days. No. So they're the kind of things to consider in that respect. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. What's the difference? So I've heard of a website called Flipper. Um, uh-huh. I've been there a number of times. I actually almost bought a, a site from, from Flipper in the past. What's the difference between going to Flipper or Marketplace uh, versus using a broker like yourselves, an m and so, firm? So is that from a buyer perspective? From, a, a, buyer, perspective? from, from, a, from a buyer and a seller perspective. So if, uh, from, from a buyer perspective, sorry, from a buyer perspective, let's start out with that. Yeah, so from a buyer perspective, I mean, I guess the two main differences is if you buy from a marketplace, mm-hmm. you are buying directly from the seller and the, the marketplace itself, bar the information they collect, they do not verify anything. Mm-hmm. And effectively, they cannot verify anything. So you have to take everything at face value. And what you often find with marketplaces like Flipper, and I guess marketplaces in any industry, there's often a lot of kind of dishonest people who might misrepresent their business. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of smart people as well. Well, smart people who are dishonest mm-hmm. and have the ability to hide things, misrepresent things. That might be faking sales. Mm. So various ways you can make it look like your business is making sales. But in reality, that's kind of all the same credit card and just one person making all mm. of those transactions. So there's lots of things that sellers do in that respect if you go to a, a broker from a buyer perspective the main difference there is that the broker or advisor or m a firm is controlling the process mm-hmm. so the better firms you deal with will 95 percent of your interaction will be with the, the broker themselves mm-hmm. and it's only once you get further into the process and you've learned about the business and you're interested mm-hmm. would you speak to the the seller directly yeah. so it's a more consistent experience going to yeah. an yeah. M&A firm and, yeah. and the better ones will be selling legitimate businesses all of the time okay. obviously that doesn't necessarily mean you'll like the business but there's a difference between legitimacy and, and likability yeah. we sell a lot of businesses you might look at and be like this is a terrible business I don't like it but for someone else they're like wow this is amazing this is just what I wanted um, but what what we try and avoid as a firm is selling a business where it's like, well, this is a scam. These sales are not correct. Mm. Which is what the the issues you run into on a marketplace. So from a buyer perspective, the the main difference is just due diligence, what the information you're going to get, and also the expectations. You'd be pretty confident if you're working with an M&A firm Mm. that the expectations of the seller are going to be quite reasonable. If you go onto a marketplace, someone could be asking for a million dollars for their business that's actually only worth a hundred thousand. Whereas go to an M and A firm, yes, you will probably think that the business is priced quite high, but that does not necessarily mean it's it's unrealistic. Mm. Um, So that's consideration from that side. What I'm picking up is there's a lot more due diligence with with a firm, you know, versus a marketplace that's you know open to to cowboys. Well, precisely. So, yeah, yeah, for perspective, when we before we list the business, we put together a. So, we, I mean, we do various phone calls with the, mm. the seller. We often meet them in person. Mm. Um, we then put together about a twenty to thirty page prospectus about the business, 
And throughout that process, we're conducting due diligence, whether that's related to financials or operations or legal due diligence. And then before we list the business as well, we also collect various due diligence information to make sure that what they're claiming is is accurate. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we still say to people, you should do your own due diligence. But from a company perspective, we want to make sure that any businesses we list are legitimate to the best of our kind of knowledge. Okay, that makes makes a lot of sense. You know, you mentioned earlier um, the fact that, you know, a business with more diversified, you know, um, traffic sources and revenue, you know, sources actually um, versus one that, you know, um, was just getting traffic and um, revenue from, say, Facebook um, would be a lot more valuable than um, the, the, the latter. Um, would you suggest, you know, when people are building out businesses to focus on one traffic source and then, you know, once they've gain stability and um, traction on the, just that one traffic source, they, they start to expand into other traffic sources to, you know, prime the, themselves up for, for sale. Yeah, I definitely think, f- so focus is definitely important when you're starting out. The question from there really becomes a matter of resource. Mm-hmm. So how much resource do you have? If you if it's just you working by yourself and you have a limited budget, mm-hmm. then it's probably only realistic for you to focus on one or two um sources mm-hmm. so that's the consideration and then also what are you good at what do you like some like i mentioned earlier some businesses and some products suit themselves really well to a platform like instagram mm-hmm. so if instagram is where your customers are hanging out then that's where you should be advertising and building your, okay. your presence okay. um so a lot of it is like what are you good at where are your customers hanging out and the, the rest of the consideration is really just resource yeah. don't don't try and master five different traffic sources simultaneously if it's just you working by yourself with no budget okay you're just setting yourself up to fail okay okay makes sense um i have a question with regards again to to asset value and um the impact of like process documentation not as a reactive you know, um, set of actions, but as a proactive. So I'm a seller, you know, I have an e-commerce business and I say, you know, Thomas, um, or FE international, um, I want to sell, um, how, you know, these, these are all my assets and these are my processes, you know, for doing all this kind of stuff. Um, does that, you know, give, you know, me more value as compared to, you know, businesses that do not have a process or do you even, um, make sure they have a process, um, you know, um, like process documentation before they, they hand over to, to buyers? Yes, it's a really good question. So processes in general. So, I mean, there's two things with processes. Having processes generally means your business is going to be more valuable in the first place mm-hmm. because businesses with good processes generally run better, generally make more revenue, and they make more profit. So, in that respect, the, the fact you have processes and systems is probably already baked into the revenue you're making. From a buyer perspective, doesn't necessarily increase the value, but it definitely increases the desirability mm. and decreases the amount of time as a seller that you'll need to spend training a buyer. So okay. if I buy your business and you send me a manual to run it and I can follow it and run the business, then I'm probably not going to need a huge amount of your time to mm. train me how to run the business. But if you don't have anything written down, then you're going to be spending all of your time teaching me how to do it. So, so generally on a deal, say an average million dollar deal you might expect 30 days of training and if you're well documented 30 days is going to be absolutely plenty 
Mm. Whereas if you have nothing written down and your business is quite complex, then it might take more like 90 to 180 days. So there are some considerations on that front. It's more the sellability of the the business. Mm -hmm. A buyer wants to take over a business that has good systems and processes in place, but also the length of time it's going to take for them to train you. Okay, that makes sense. What about staff? Um, how do you how do you handle staff um, over a, a sale of a business? So the, the general rule of thumb would be if you have a team and if yeah. you have staff, then they need to stay with the business. And buyers always want to keep keep the team. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have misconceptions for this because I think there are kind of romanticised the world of private equity and similar industries where people buy companies and the next day they fire everybody. But in the world of small businesses, that doesn't really happen very often. Or Buyers want to take over the team you have. So that would be definitely detrimental to value if the team aren't staying for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So you always need to make sure that they're hanging around. Um, and the only other real consideration from there is how are the contracts structured? Mm-hmm. Um, it's becoming more and more common for companies to be very international, much like we are, but also having a team that are remote. So that means that they're, they're most likely going to be independent contractors or, or freelancers. Mm. And they're much easier to transfer to a, a buyer mm. who will most likely not be in the same country that you are, yeah. um, as opposed to an employee. That's so an advantage. An employee, Yes. So I'd say being a contractor is an advantage in that respect. Mm. Um, there are ways, ways around it. And, and, and there's, there, consideration. there's less emotional baggage, you know, when you, you know, when you work remotely, you know what you're meant to do and you do it and you have your time, you know, so unlike if you're in an office. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there's a well, lot exactly. to, to deal yeah. with. In an office, you have to see your boss Trust every day or you have to see the company owner every day. Which is and human. If, you know, it's, it's yeah, a human exactly. thing to it, feel. Yeah. <laughs> so it's definitely a consideration. Okay. All right. Cool. Okay. Let's talk about multipliers. Um, or is it multipliers? Multipliers. Yeah. Industry multipliers. So in, in online retail, what kind of multipliers would you expect um, to, for, for valuation? Um, Could you shed some more light on it for for business sales? Yeah, so just to give you an idea of averages, Mm -hmm. um, and bear in mind this is a multiple on net profit, and usually net profit for the last 12 months of the business. Sometimes you might look at other periods, but 12 months is usually the most reflective. Multiple's going to be anywhere in the two to four times range on average, um, but they can really vary across that spectrum. Uh, They rarely go higher than that, and they rarely go lower than that. Um, but like I said, we look at over 100 variables, so there's there's no kind of standard rule of thumb you can use. There's lots of different things that go into it. Okay, okay. So if I was to sell my business for um, for five million, then I should have had net profits of um, a third of that at the very minimum, um, or it's, you know half of that at the very minimum. So, yeah. so if I made 2.5 million in profits, is is that right or? Yeah, that'd be about right. I'd say as businesses get bigger, so particularly into that like seven or mid seven to high seven figure range, yeah. multiples do start to go up, okay. and buyers do start to look at slightly different variables as well. Okay. So your profitability is still important, um, but not as important as it might be for a business that's only worth say five hundred thousand instead of five million. Okay. Um, but as a rule of thumb, your 
your math is correct in that respect. Okay. So if I wanted to sell for for like a, a million dollars in, you know, um, if I wanted an exit of a million dollars, then I should be looking at um, 250, you know, minimum or um, even 300K in, in net profit, not even gross, net profit. Is, is that right? Yes, ex- okay. exactly. That's correct. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. And then within e-commerce, you know, verticals, fashion e-commerce, there's... Um, um, the, the publishing sites, you know, there's um, the, the, the homeware sites, you know, kitchenware, there's, you know, furniture sites, all sorts of sites, all sorts of verticals within e-commerce. Um, are there any special multiples or do, do, do these multiples just apply right across, you know, online retail? Yeah, that would be our, our averages we see. Okay. They're not going to vary a huge amount industry to industry. Okay. Assuming we're, we're taking all of the boxes that we spoke about earlier, okay. which are things like, the kind of products you're selling. If you're just selling one product and that product's a fidget spinner, then mm. that business is not going to be worth as much as someone who has, say, 200 SKUs mm. and they're evergreen. So let's say you have, going back to my pen example, you have red pens, blue pens, green pens. Yes, it, it might seem very boring, but it, it's pretty conceivable that in five years' time, you're still going to be selling pens. Yeah, so that's a, from a buyer perspective, that's a more stable bet. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. Um, then um, what are your thoughts on, or from the deals, from your deal flow, you know, just coming through um, fully catalog businesses versus, you know, businesses that are selling distinct, you know, few products, you know, um, like um, luxury watches, for instance, um, and they've extended to maybe bags. Um, so how, which which has been which is better for um or which adds more value um from a from a buyer perspective i think from a buyer perspective it it, it really varies mm-hmm. i mean you definitely want to have multiple products mm-hmm. having a business that's reliant on just one is not necessarily a sensible idea but if you're focused on just one thing so for example just watches that's not necessarily a, a bad thing mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have to have lots and lots of different types of products. I'd say being focused in one particular space is important. Just having 10,000 different products on your site for the sake of having 10,000 is not worthwhile. But if you're selling watches and you have 10,000 different types of watches, mm-hmm. then that probably is is worth it. Okay. So the consideration should really be how many products are there okay. um, and then how consistently they're, they're selling. And then from a buyer perspective, they're also going to be interested in the uniqueness. Mm-hmm. So if you're drop shipping and you've just taken the generic catalog from the suppliers, then that's not going to be as valuable as a business where you've found a unique supplier for certain products. Got it. Got it. So the more unique it is, you know, the, the, the better. Okay. Um, just to wrap up before we get into our lightning round um, or evergreen question round, um, I just wanted to ask about like for our listeners who are, you know, priming up for 2018, um, what's the most, most lucrative verticals, you know, um, you're, you're right now and over the next three to five years from your perspective? That's a really good question. Everyone asks me this question all the time. It's always difficult to say. Honestly, my answer is usually the boring answer, which is focus on something that is going to continue to sell and continue to be popular. So I generally completely avoid new trends mm-hmm. just because generally a new trend, you have no idea, and neither does a buyer, which is the key, no idea how long that product's going to stay popular. So, I mean, there's lots of industries that have changed massively. So you go back, people used to be selling Blu-rays, and everyone thought that was going to be the... The, the popular thing. And then a few years later, that changes. Mm-hmm. And that's massive companies that are making a bet and getting it wrong. Yeah. So 
if a big companies are getting it wrong, what hope does a uh, like a, a one man band or a, like a, a small company have? Gotcha. Um, unless you're just getting lucky. So I always encourage people to focus on um, it's like relatively boring products that are always going to be around, and then trying to figure out a, a unique angle for for selling it. Look yeah. at something like a, a Dollar Shave Club, for example, mm. sold for a, a billion dollars. Yeah. Um, and all they were they were not selling anything new or unique. They just had a unique marketing angle. Yeah. And then a unique business model or relatively unique business model, which was a subscription. Are you selling subscription sites? So subscription box businesses are really yeah. popular. Um, mm. We've done a couple recently and we have a couple listed at the moment. Uh, they're always popular with buyers. Uh, the advantage of subscription box versus a regular e-commerce store is the recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. So from a, a buy perspective. It's like a SaaS it, business, it was, isn't it? it? Exactly. So it's kind of a combination between a SaaS and e-commerce in terms of the variables that come into it. So, yeah, they're always popular. So are the um, multipliers slightly higher? Yeah, slightly higher. Um, if you can build in recurring revenue to your business in in any way, well, and that applies to any business regardless of your industry, whether it's online or offline, um, from a buyer perspective, that's always going to be a good thing. Okay, okay. That makes sense. Thomas, thank you so 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 very much these are like you know huge huge insights and you know i'm sure my, my, you know the guests are going to come asking for for loads of questions you know in the comments area um of the blog post when when it's published but before i let you go um i normally ask my guests about three or four you know evergreen questions called lightning round um i'm ready when you are cool i'm um, good to go um, so just if you can answer each question with one sentence that'd be perfecto okay so how do you hire people uh, we use a platform called angel.co. Okay. All right. Got it. What are your three indispensable tools for managing FE International? Yeah, three tools we probably couldn't do without on a day-to-day basis. So a product called Todoist, okay. um, Trello, yeah. and Slack. And Slack. Okay. Yeah. No, all of them. Good stuff. What's been your best mistake to date? By that time, I mean a setback that's given you the biggest feedback. So I'd say probably the best mistake we've made is being a bit too slow to hire people. So we've always been very conservative mm-hmm. when we've hired people. So we've always made sure we've had the money and the profit there um, before hiring people. So it does slow growth, but it, it means that growth is very sustainable, sustainable. very predictable, mm-hmm. and you stay profitable throughout, which is important if you don't have any outside outside funding. Makes sense, makes sense. Okay, what one piece of advice can you give to retailers you know keen on 2x or even 10x in their, their their sales for sale for eventual sale so i think the most important thing to do is focus on building an email list um, and list. then actually regularly emailing those users whether that's setting up abandoned cart emails mm-hmm. so we use a product called GrooveJar, GrooveJar. Um, which is a good way of collecting emails sending out emails um and making sure you're kind of optimizing all different parts of the funnel Good stuff, good stuff. Okay. If you could choose a single book or resource that online retailers kin to exit should read, which which would it be? Uh, so there's, a, there's a book out there called Built to Sell. Built to Sell. Um, yeah, and it's, it's basically a hypothetical story of how to turn a business that's not sellable into a business that is sellable. Mm. Um, and I guess an, a, an additional slightly shameless plug, but we have various ebooks. That okay. we give away for free. You can find on our 
on our website that if you want to learn some specifics about building up the value of an e-commerce business and what makes it sellable, then they're worth a read as well. I'll definitely link to it um, from the show notes to the to the to the section of your website okay so um for our listeners keen on connecting with FE international people who are keen on you know um deals um how best can they reach you yeah so i mean we're in lots of different places so it depends what what medium you like but you can find us on facebook you can find us on twitter i would recommend visiting our site and signing up to our email list mm-hmm. um we send out regular emails whether you're looking to buy whether you're looking to sell or whether you just want to learn a little bit more yeah um so that would be my suggestion. Just yeah. check us out. Yeah, guys, I'm I'm on the list, and I get um, you know, um, deal 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 summaries every Friday, I think, or, or Monday. Yeah, Friday. Fridays. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do. Okay. Um. Many, many, many thanks, Thomas, for making it to the show and sharing insights on how to build businesses to sell. Um. I there's been a lot. I'm going to listen to this again. I've taken a lot, lots of lots of notes. Um. And yeah, many, many thanks. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks very much. And um, I hope that was all helpful for everyone. Okay. All right. Cheers. So that was a wrap on this week's episode of 2X e-commerce. Remember, you can catch me every week and also send your questions and comments on Twitter using the hashtag 2XEcommerce. Keep yourself in the loop by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. It only takes a few seconds and it means you'll get the most up-to-date episodes to help you grow your online store. Do have a good one till I catch you on the next show. Bye-bye.